we are, in the words of the Old and New Testament, declared by God to be peculiar. That is, He wants us to be peculiar. And peculiar means that you're different from the usual. You're different from the ordinary. And every Christian should share these same peculiarities. We are peculiar because God has made us so. And in past messages, I have been bringing out the peculiarities, trying to again deal with this problem that we seemingly cannot overcome, that most people still believe that when you get down to deciding whether or not you're going to heaven or hell, it's going to be based on whether or not I have been a good person. And this is not the question I really think people should be asking themselves, am I good enough to go to heaven. Now, the questions you ought to be asking, which are very peculiar questions, but they apply to every Christian. Number one, when did I die? Number two, when did I go broke? Or am I broke? You say, am I a good person? Let me ask you this. Are you dead? Are you broke? Have you gotten out of prison? Have you been supernaturally healed? Have you been raised from the dead? Have you become invisible? Have you changed color? And have you been given a special gift? Now, all these things I know sound very strange. Last week, I preached on have you received a special gift that only God controls. And I closed by saying I didn't have time to name the gifts, but I would this week. And I'll quickly state them. One is the ability to speak forth the Word of God. Another is teaching. Another is exhortation. Another is pastor-teacher. Another is showing mercy. Another is serving. Another is giving. And another is administration. These are all special gifts. And so when you get saved, let me ask you a question. What is your gift? You have been given a special gift of God that you never had before. Now, all these things sound strange, but they're all true of every Christian. Now, our next question also is going to sound strange to everybody. The question is not how good am I, but did and have I become engaged to be married? I want to make something very clear that maybe I have overlooked saying in the past messages, all these peculiar things that I am talking about happen to a person at the moment they are born a child of God. At the moment you become a Christian through salvation, through Christ, by receiving Him as your Savior and accepting Him as your Lord, all of these peculiarities take place at that moment. This is one of them. When you became a Christian, if you did, you became engaged to be married. You see, I don't know what you're talking about, preacher. Well, you, you join me now with that word, I, I don't know. It was John the Baptist, disciples, Jesus first portrayed himself as the bridegroom. Now, you know, Jesus had disciples and John had disciples, and John disciples were the first to hear this idea that Jesus Christ is a bride a groom and they heard that from him Matthew chapter 9 verse 14 and 15 then came to Jesus the disciples of John 
saying, Why do we fast, but your disciples do not? And Jesus said to them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He's talking about himself. Here he calls himself a bridegroom. But the day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, that is, his disciples, and then they shall fast. So here he declares, I am a bridegroom, and that one day I will depart. In one of his own parables, he pictures himself again as the bridegroom. Matthew 25, 1 and 3, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, in the parable, Jesus is the bridegroom. And he says, Watch therefore, for ye know not neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes, that is, comes as the bridegroom to get his bride and take her back to the Father's house with him. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that is the kind of statement a bridegroom would make. I have come, I am engaged, I am going back to my father's house to prepare a place for my bride. Then I will come again and take my bride back to the house that I have made for her. Folks, that is exactly what the New Jerusalem is. That is the bride's home being made now by the bridegroom. And so you'll understand those words of Jesus if you understand him being a bridegroom. Now you and I talk about the rapture. Well, the rapture is the bride coming forth at the, of course, invitation of the bridegroom who has come. And we are then returned together to heaven uh, for the wedding. Now you have to understand that. Now John the Baptist. He too regarded Jesus as a bridegroom. John three twenty-seven to 29. John said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not Christ, but I have been sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Now here he talks about Jesus as the bridegroom having a bride. And John says, I am not going to be a part of the bride. The friend, I'm the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. John saying, I am not going to be a part of the bride, but I am the friend of the bridegroom, and I rejoice over this fact that the bridegroom will possess him a bride. Who is this bride? Well, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Paul says, I am zealous over you. Who's the you? It's the church of Corinth. It's the Christians within the church. And this will be true of all Christians everywhere. For I am jealous over, and I'm going to add a word now, you Christians with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you or brought about the engagement of you to one husband. Now he's talking to folks that are married as well as who are single. Who as well as are young who will grow up to get married. 
who will have children. And he says to the entire congregation, I have engaged you or brought about the marriage arrangement or had had a part in you getting engaged to Christ. I have espoused you to one husband and I desire to present you as a chaste virgin for marriage to Christ. Paul says, I hope to prepare you that you can be a good bride of Christ, a chaste virgin. In Ephesians chapter 5, 30-32, For we are members of his body, this would call church, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall become one. This is a great mystery, says Paul, but I am also talking about Christ and the church. He was talking about the marriage of men to women. Now he says, here's a great mystery. I am also talking about Christ and the church and the relationship that they shall have together, which is a relationship of marriage. Revelation 19, 6 through 8. Let me announce the wedding to you. John said, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. That is, the time for the marriage to take place is now come. And his wife, that's the church, hath made herself ready for the wedding. This implies that he has come down to earth, that he has gathered his bride to be together, has taken them back to heaven, and now in heaven we're going to have the wedding. And to her, that is, the bride, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And of course, the saints are referred to primarily as believers in Jesus Christ who have made him their Lord and Savior. Now, if you're like me, all this sounds very strange and confusing. I have a preacher friend, and he other day he called me up on Monday morning. He usually doesn't do that. And he, he said, I had a memory the other day, yesterday, last night, went out the door upset, and they've been calling me all day about, he says, I'm not the bride. And he's like, well, what, what can I, what kind of book can I give him to convince him that we are the bride of Christ? And I, so he was having, also the man, having trouble understanding how could I, a man, be classified the bride of Christ. I agree, this all sounds very peculiar, does it not? To say me, a man, is engaged to be married to Christ, is very strange. That God the Son would even be able to take unto himself a wife. That sounds strange. So I find myself, as you ask me questions, having to say, I don't know. I don't understand. I am myself very confused. All I can say to you is, that this is a very peculiar arrangement that we find ourselves in as a result of being born again. This is an unusual peculiarity. 
And there's not a whole lot that I can tell you about it outside the Bible says it is definitely a fact. Scripture says there will be a wedding. There will be a union of Christ the bridegroom with the bride. And I assume Cardinal Paul is going to be patterned after the union between a husband and a wife. And Jesus is spoken of as the second Adam, and I guess maybe if this is right, I'm not sure it is, you could call the church the second Eve. That sounds strange to me to say that. Maybe that's not correct. And there is a home being prepared in which the bridegroom and the bride shall live together forever and ever. Now, these are facts. But every one of these facts, I know, raises questions in your mind for which I do not have an answer. Now, before the fall, I, I do believe this, that, that Adam and Eve viewed life from the perspective of their spirit. Now, I believe man is a body, soul, and spirit, and most of all these peculiarities that we have take place in either the soul or the spirit. None take place in the body. But in the beginning, man viewed life through his spirit. After the fall, man views everything in life from the perspective of his body, the physical. In the beginning, it was the perspective of the spiritual. Now it's the perspective of the physical. And it's on this point, you see, because I view everything from the physical viewpoint. I have to say, I don't understand. I don't think there is going to be any, and I don't even know how to say this, any kind of physical relationship to this marriage. To begin with, the bride consists of resurrected men and women. And personally, I don't believe women become men and men become women. I don't believe everybody ends up one united woman. I believe women remain women in heaven, and I believe men remain men in heaven. I don't believe this marriage has anything to do with any kind of physical relationship which we call matrimonial union, or whatever you'd like to call it. It has nothing to do with that. It's going to be a spiritual wedding. Now you say, what do you mean by that? I don't know. But you make a big mistake if you try to figure out, well, am I going to be a woman? And is there going to be relations between Christ and the woman? No, folks, I, I think we're way out in left field, and this has nothing to do with this whole subject. And this begins, of course, the string of ideas because we imagine one great big woman or we imagine the men becoming a woman and women's... No, I believe women stay women and men stay men and there's nothing to do <clears throat> with any kind of physical relationship, though we <clears throat> will have resurrected bodies. But I have no idea what the resurrected body is going to be. I really don't. Women, I don't believe, will ever again bear children. The capacity would not even be there. There's no need for this. So the physical side's gone. Take that out of your mind. Now, if there's one word I could use to describe the union, I would use the word companionship. You might get the picture, if your folks were like this, of your mother and your dad just sitting on the front porch or sitting out in the yard enjoying each other's company. They are man and they are wife, but there is no physical relationship going on. They're just enjoying each other. There is companionship. And when one dies in that kind of situation, there is tremendous loneliness. 
They're not just thinking about the physical aspect. They're thinking about the companionship of the person which they later in life find this is far more precious than any moment of physical enjoyment. This is what marriage is all about. It's companionship. This is what love really is all about. It's companionship. Not a brief moment of enjoyment from the physical viewpoint. And so as I view this marriage, I view it solely from the realm and the perspective of companionship. Christ saying to us, I will enjoy you as my greatest delight throughout eternity. Just seeing you and being with you. And we will say the same thing. Whether man or woman, we will say this to Christ also. That is, I'll never let you out of my sight. The bride becomes the main attraction. The greatest source of pleasure in the realm of of association, in the realm of conversation, in the realm of companionship, in the realm of just seeing each other and being with each other. I don't know any other way to state this. Christ is going to become the chief source of pleasure in heaven for the church. We talk about, well, there are going to be other things. We're going to get to see the streets of gold and we're going to get to see our loved one. Folks, the main attraction is going to be Christ. And the main attraction of Christ is going to be us, the church. I don't know how to explain this to you. So what are we going to be doing? I don't know. How is this going to work? I don't know. See, I, I really don't know. Keep in mind, the wedding day is going to take place after we get resurrected bodies. After we have been totally changed, after we have been made 100% compatible with Christ, after we have been made perfect in every way, we will have no spot and no wrinkle and no blemish. We will be like him in character. We will be like him in the bodily makeup that he has, whatever that is. We'll be like him in thought all I can say is we are being prepared for companionship. Matthew 13, 43. It says of us, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun, S-U-N. And I might add also, we will also shine forth as like the S-O-N, sun, in the kingdom of the Father. Ephesians 4, 13. Till all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, until we become a perfect person, having the full measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. Whatever that means, I don't really know. We are going to become, a, in a sense, a bride made to order. He is not going to change. We are. And anything about us now that will detract his attention from us will be removed. And everything done to us will attract his affection for us. What's going to be done? I don't know. Again, I repeat myself, we are going to be the chief source of his eternal pleasure. Beholding us and being with us 
and doing whatever it is he's going to do with us. I don't know. It's a union of admiration. It's a union of companionship. It's a union of pleasure and delight, which we shall never tire of, nor shall he. And when Jesus said he endured the cross for the joy that was before him, promised him by the Father, what is this joy that he was willing to die for? What is this reward that he says will be his chief source of glory throughout eternity? What is the nature of this glory? What well, is connected with us? But that's as far as I can give you an answer. I don't know the other answers. Whatever it consists of, it shall be magnificent. When you think of a bride, you think of a person who is beautiful. God is beauty. The Bible talks about the beauty of the Lord. And so he shall make us beautiful. In what way? I think in righteousness. That will be our dress. That will be our garment that pleases him. And we shall to him be more fascinating than millions of rainbows and sunsets and waterfalls on the new earth which he will create. But that will not be his chief source of pleasure. And to us he shall be more radiant than ten million suns and billions of stars. He will be our main attraction. Whatever glory that God is going to give his son as a reward for his dying upon the cross, whatever that glory is, he is going to share with us as our husband. Now, I know this sounds strange. Jesus said, Father, I will that they whom you will give me will be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And we don't have any idea what this is that they will get the chance to behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. And 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation and sanctification, whereupon he calls you by our gospel, that you might obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 16, 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and in thy presence is fullness of joy. I just sort of picture me and Jesus sitting in a rocking chair underneath a tree together. I, I don't know why else to picture this thing. But notice this. In thy presence is fullness of joy. You can take everything else out of heaven and have nothing left there but Jesus, and that will be your fullness of joy. It's all you'll need. It's all you'll want. At thy right hand, I'm going to insert now, at, at the right hand of the bridegroom, there will be pleasures forevermore. Now, I know very little else to say about this strange mystery. I'm going to have to wait like everybody else to find out what it really means to be classified the bride of Christ. I don't have the mentality to look upon myself as a bride. And so it's difficult. But it's also a peculiarity that's true about the Christian.